Welcome back to another episode of Everyone is Stupid Except Us. The title is sticking, despite the fact that I am Ross and Sean is not here. But joining me for this... And I'm Sean. Yeah, you are not Sean. Joining me for this very uh, specific episode is a good friend of mine. I was doing the count on it of, I think, 15 years, I think. Oh, gosh. It's a bit of a guess. It might be an accurate one. And the other fun part of this is how do I introduce you? I think when when Flora was on, we just called her Flora. So we didn't, yeah, we try to maintain some anonymity. But you've got this James Griff Leroy, uh, how many other I'm legitimately doing a blank on how we did our Lime Not Lemon intros. Oh, I remember those. Don't worry about that. No, but that's like I'm drawing a blank on... Because I'm like, oh, well, obviously it? you'd introduce me as... Huh. Lime Not Lemons, another episode of... Oh, yeah, we didn't uh, say who we something were. With, and, and then, yeah, how did we get to our actual introductions? I don't know. You're right. I don't we did, we, that I don't think we did. Uh, I just did it as a lower third. Yeah. James, James and I used to have a uh, YouTube channel of video games where we try to play video games together occasionally against one another and sometimes cooperatively, but they both ended up the same. Arguably, we still have the channel. It does exist. Just, you can go and check out Lime Not Lemon just for fun. And yeah, there's, there's only like some, a thousand hours of video there's there. There's some great stuff over there. You go, go check go, go check it out. Watch it all and come back. We'll wait. It's okay. We'll wait. Hang on. Are you back yet? Okay, good. So James is joining me today because Sean wanted to take a different role in the uh, production of Everyone is Stupid Except Us and Me. I just like talking for no reason. So, as we all know, Sean was really the heavyweight behind all the talking, so I have no idea how I'm going to fill the airtime without his expertise. So we all know he was the talkative one, and I was just the guy that just sort of said, uh-huh, a few times. But we'll soldier on and see how well we do. Basically, my plan is to find things that I want to talk about, and then grab someone that I know, or potentially don't know, and see if they'll return my calls and get and get to talking about them. So what I why I brought James on is because James does sport things specifically sports hockey i am a canadian citizen and i grew up not playing hockey not really watching hockey not doing a thing about i I watched baseball as an aside and then a thing happened recently at the university that i work at which is uh, acadia university in, in nova scotia where our hockey team played a hockey team from another place in nova scotia and everyone lost their mind there was a big brawl on the ice lots of stuff and because it was pertinent to me you know i've, I've been following my uh what, what is the word alma mater's uh, adventures yes. in, in alma this alma mater as in the great aunt what is, what is of toe mater from cars that's what that's latin for okay i was always curious yeah so no. when that big it, it was a big brawl it, it uh, made national canadian news it may not have gone south of the border but i don't really care at this point and as the more more and more of the story came out the narrative changed a couple of times as to why this happened why they got into a fight and then once i learned a couple of details i became curious and i said does this actually happen because where the story comes down to is there was what shall we say smack talk I believe, no, chirping. Chirping is the official word for it, where you're chirping at the other team, and apparently one guy, theoretically, or quote-unquote, may or may not have chirped something, or he did chirp something, and the other the other guy took it the wrong way, or some, it, so it's this whole, one side said that he went too far, and the other side said, oh, you're taking it out of context, and this one chirp took things and just rolled with it and everyone went crazy blaming everyone because so in 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 this one face off towards the end of the game there were two players one is named uh where is he uh one of his name is rodney and the other one is i believe sam um i think uh yeah sam so Rodney was the Acadia player, Sam was the other university player and this this took five days to come out. Rodney came out and said yep I chirped at him and I said, you look like a little effing rapist. I'm colloquializing because we pretend to be a family show. Now, what happened there is then a huge fight broke out and like every, you know, the, the coaches of one of the teams is hitting people with a stick. I mean, it just exploded. It was crazy. I still have yet to watch the video on it, but I'm uh, just reading the... Let me just, to interject, the video is um, worth watching, if only for... Um... The the footage that's behind the bench that's really close. You just you hear all the language and it's I don't know. Don't expose yourself to that if you don't really want to. That's kind of why I didn't. uh, However, the video from the far side of the rink where you can't hear any of the words and you just see the fight. um, The part of it that really the reason I watched it more than once is that from off screen, 
So, like, you can see both of the benches, and then from the right of that, you actually see a stick thrown like a javelin enter the side of the screen, arc, and land on the far side of the other team's bench. I heard about that, where there was a throwing of sticks. No, no, So this one stick, it's like a cruise missile. It flies onto the screen, over one bench, and into the other one in a way that, like, like it doesn't hit anybody or, like, the people that it where they were there just sort of, like, shrugged it off. <laughs> and, and, like, to me, I'm like, somebody threw a stick like a javelin. Like, they were out to skewer somebody. This is kind of what I want to get to because if, okay, for, for listeners, for listeners at home, our one listener... If you're listening to this, have you ever watched something like Sports Desk or one of those shows and you see two hockey talking head, these two experts talk to each other and not really understand what's going on? Hopefully this is going to be different because I am not a hockey guru. Honestly, James is my hockey guru that I go to him and I'm like, hey, hey, how how should I feel about this whole current thing that's happening? And he will invariably tell me. So I want to ask, and the first thing that I'm curious about is, you've apparently never seen a javelin toss before. That's not true. The reason I make that comparison is because I used to throw javelins. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And yeah, so this is what this comes down to. When you're in a face-up, when you're in a face-up, and one dude says, you look like a little effing rapist. So the internet lost their mind. They said, how dare he say that? Oh my God, how could he say a thing like that? And I, we've had several conversations about hockey over the years, about violence, about uh, sort of checking, about what the rules are. We've never really talked about the chirping, but this brought up the chirping conversation. And I asked you, does this happen? And I believe your exact response was, oh yeah. Oh yeah, no, constantly. That's so, the worst. That's that's always been my least favorite part of hockey. Okay, so um, you're, you're in a face-off. You're taking the face-off. You're against the other guy, and he's just looking you up and down, trying to find something like, oh, would, would, would you get your gear secondhand? Where's, where's, does your shirt come in men's? You know, something, what, and everything. Oh, yeah. No, it's um, like uh, I, I've really enjoyed uh, exposing people to Letterkenny and the hockey players there because they're the kings of the chirp. Oh, they're the, all that's the chirping. chirp from the bench, though. Oh, but it's on. Well, that's just because then they, they chirp on the ice. They chirp on the bench. They like that. That language is just constant. Okay. Like the the chirp, you're always chatting with the people you're playing against. My go-to for the chirp is I like to compliment the other players. So I'm like, <laughs> that was a real nice pass you made there. Like it throws them right off because they're expecting you to come at their uh, heritage, their parentage. Um, yeah, see, I, I would have thought the backhanded compliment would have come out something like, oh, I thought, you know, that was a really nice slap shot. I thought your arms looked skinny. No, no. It's Nothing like, like oh, that. that you are, really nice you are legitimate, genuinely impressed. Or, or just... no, the, the, the chirp. Actually, I was playing on hockey Monday night and uh, we were losing. And there was one guy on the other team who'd scored like four goals in a row and just made us look silly. And so I called over from my bench. I called over to his bench and I asked him if he could uh, stop scoring such pretty goals and maybe try for some garbage ones because I get caught looking. And he just cracked up and started laughing and was unfocused for the next like three minutes. It was great. We scored two goals and we got back in the game. Okay, so you uh, do it for a psychological thing. When I oh, play yeah, baseball, no, I do that for that same reason but usually because i'm playing and my team is a bunch of useless scrubs and i'm trying to befriend the other team hoping to get recruited oh 100 percent. so I, I, you know i, I will also, talk them up i also uh ref some hockey mm-hmm. and i will say that when a team is losing hockey players very quickly turn to chirping the ref because they get frustrated and so yeah, this you don't, like, don't want to do that though well you'd think that and <laughs> but it, it doesn't stop anybody and I, actually I, like my experience both as a ref and in games is like as a ref when I'm refing, I'm like, I know that I've called three penalties on you and you guys are losing and I haven't called any on the other team, but like they've got a lead. They're not playing as hard. You guys are the ones pushing. You're taking risks. You're slashing your hook. And it's like, I'm willing to call a penalty and I'm watching closely. And I probably do in those moments skew more likely to like, I'm probably watching the other team because yep. there is a psychological aspect to like, I don't want them to be like, you You called the game. But at the same time, I find that in those moments of testosterone-driven uh, adrenaline moments, like people are just going to do what they do. And, and you know what? The other thing is, is like 90% of those players, like the final whistle blows, and like we're not even going to 
like off the surface yet and they're like oh sorry about that i kind of lost my head oh that's I still, nice I, I remember refing a, a broom ball game in my undergrad at like two in the morning and some drunk guy was playing and he literally jumped over the boards to go start a fight with another guy and so i thankfully was on skates and he wasn't so i grabbed him by his jersey and dragged him to the penalty box and threw him in and he was sputtering and muttering and cursing my name as i took him to the penalty box I went down, dropped dropped the ball for the next broom ball face-off. And as I skated by the penalty box again, there was now suddenly a very sheepish undergrad student in that penalty box, kind of, you know, head down, eyes looking up at me like, I, I'm really sorry, I, <laughs> I didn't. Please, That's Mr. Like, Ref, don't put me in the penalty box. Thing. No, it was, it was very like, oh, you are just hammered. Yeah, you... I, I've had 20 to 25 seconds to think about what's actually happening and realized, oh, wait, I've been a total jackass. Exactly. And that and, does happen. And I will say, like, that was one of the things that I kind of, in the Acadia situation, I I actually had a lot of respect for the, the player. That, tosser? Just, the, that he was just like, yeah, this is what I said. And, I, like, it wasn't very cool of me and, like... Well, that, yeah, so that that's how the remainder of that played out. So this all happened, I looked it up, it, this all happened on Groundhog Day, in fact. It's February 2nd, 2019. This was the game, the big brawl, everything happened. Uh, it took several days for the guy to admit to what he said, because in the first couple of days, Sam, the guy from the non-My University team, he he spurts out, oh, yeah, it was a huge brawl, and the coaches got involved, and there was, you know, there may have been a couple of javelins, but... He made, you know, the the guy, the guy in the face off with me, he made a reference to sexual assault and he knew that my sister was a victim of sexual assault before and therefore I could not let that stand or words to that effect. I am paraphrasing a bit, but they tried to blame that on someone was triggered because the chirp was of a sexual assault nature. So the, so someone tried to say, oh, the, the brawl mostly happened because did you know that women are victims of sexual assault? Hashtag feminism. And I felt like there was a little bit of a narrative there. And that was that was what got my attention, because normally I don't go after things like this where there's a huge brawl. But that got my attention a little bit because I thought, really, you want to you want to pull that particular card so in my mind i started thinking okay unless the chirp was specifically oh dude heard your sister got you know effect could it be could it be that someone in a face-off says dude heard your sister got raped lol could that be a thing i feel Um, that's too far oh that's definitely too far and the thing with chirp like most chirps are like in my experience the that sport culture the language of the chirps is mostly like it's never chosen with that like malcontent it's just like what's the most offensive word i can think of right now to throw out in the stream of offensive words because they tried to go into the story of oh and this is this has been an ongoing thing and we've been we've been telling this team that they should avoid this one topic because they've had a habit of picking singling out this one player because his sister was a victim of sexual assault and i thought really because that sounds like they've got this team of uh, like uh, reporters or research researchers that are looking up the most effective chirp to be used in every single uh, you know face off situation saying oh yo come on run 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 on this next one point out the fact that in his third year dude only got like a 2.7 gpa i just found it i just found it online you got to go tell him about that i don't i don't feel like that's happening and when when rodney's statement finally came out saying this is what i said i said he was an effing rapist and then it, it came out and he said i i've i met him on the ice like a year and a half ago i've only played in this league for a year and a half and i've i didn't know anything about his sister being a sexual assault survivor and he was trying to come out and saying i I just said a thing in the moment. So, and, and I'm, I'm asking you again, as my resident expert, do you think that there is a degree of personal research no. going in here? I, honestly, no. That's, hockey players have way too, like, because, like, they've got school, they've got... Yeah, you're in the rink at 6 o'clock in the morning. You're getting your practice in before your classes you start. Got, you, like, you've got your classes, you get your schoolwork, you're focused on learning the plays and stuff that you have to learn. I mean, like, the, like, at, like I, I mentioned this already. It's like, it's literally, it's just whatever, like... 
as a non-sports dude, I am the first one to always say that too much money goes into athletic things and away from, say, other stuff like, you know, for my example, arts. But I, I don't think that they're hiring researchers to find out the most effective chirps. I mean... That's a whole other straw man that I don't want to. Oh yeah, we're not touching on, that. on right there. <laughs> we'll, we'll glaze um, over that. That's fine. But like, I, I mean, no, th- th- honestly, and that's my ignorant opinion. I'm I'm trying to point out that I don't have a valid opinion in no, saying but that. Like, I'm pointing out that like what I'm trying to get at is like the very question is ridiculous. Like, does do people do research before they come up with the things they say in their cars when there's road rage happening? I do. Okay, well, you're a broken human being, and we know that. Well, I, oh. I just, I spend a lot of time driving around in this particular community, so when road rage happens, I have a lot of resources and anecdotes at my, uh, as ammunition for that particular no, but, incident. But, but my point is, is that, like, you don't have, like, the the things I've heard people yell in traffic or at pedestrians or roll down their windows or yeah. like the incident a year ago where uh, one morning on Facebook there was a video posted that like a guy felt he was that another car improperly merged in front of him inbound into Halifax and so at the first set of lights he got out of his car and walked up to their car and started yelling at them in the window. Oh, I remember that one. That, and, that that wasn't was that the one and, that resulted in a broken window? No, he started, that was the one where he just because their window was down and he just was yelling at him, yelling at her about being an Asian driver. Do you right? Are you telling me that he did a whole bunch of research and prepared himself and yeah, you, went and, and yelled usually, the racist slurs? When no, you're that just, mad, you're not even making sense. Hey, there we go. Now you've hit my point. Like you're like, often saying words that don't even belong together. No, it's not often. That's what it is. You it's, bohemian it's... kitchen sink ass exactly. fart. Ex- exactly. Your brain is picking one word at a time, the, the like the next most offensive word it can think of in that moment. Like that's all there. To me, like the more interesting thing about the whole uh, media narrative around this thing was like, and I, even from how you presented it, you specifically call out that the Acadia player took several days to make a statement, which is true, but it ignores the fact that on day one, Acadia and Acadia Athletics did release a statement, which was basically... We are reviewing. No, don't, just a second. The statement was, we're letting the, the... Atlantic University Sport Organization conduct their investigation. And they waited, and all statements waited until after that, which Mm. they did. The other team didn't. No, that's not what I, but I said it. Acadia University made the statement. Okay, okay. They were waiting. Yes. Which, which from the, if you're looking for a fair analysis and report on what did or didn't happen, having independent arbiters go to both sides and interview the players and the coaches and all that and hand down judgment, that seems like a decent way to go. Now, and this is where you get into like, there's privilege and there's other things, but it's like, in the nature of highly privileged university athletics, both sides are privileged enough in the way that you can safely rest on the fact that if you're in the right, it's gonna the the arbiter is gonna figure it out. Because um, there's not no one team has some weird privilege example like o- over the other. So w- this is the curious thing about the whole thing to me is that Saint of X, on the other hand. The opposing team. They immediately went on the offensive, publishing statements, uh, passing judgments, not even like they acknowledged the investigation but didn't wait for it. And it seemed with every passing day, uh, they were making statements. And and I was seeing rather accusatory statements as well. Yeah, well, that was like inflammatory and accusatory statements, and in many cases directed at their own alumni base and riling up their alumni base. Mmm. Most like, of which work for CBC Nova Scotia. See, I, I don't know anything about that. But what I do know is, and I mean, I have to acknowledge I'm an Acadia alumni, but I have a, a bunch of I have a bunch of friends who graduated from X and went through their hockey program, and I think they're great people. And so, but to me, the fascinating part was how quickly on social media and other platforms. Um, those ex-alumni resorted to tearing apart or threatening violence or their own acute, like they would jump on anybody who suggested anything other than the immediate, immediate Santa Vex press release. It was so like, even you are sitting here talking about like, oh, well, this is what they said. And this is like a, to me, it was almost like what we see in politics now, which is one side says an absurd thing. The other side says, let's have some science and findings. And, 
the absurdity becomes the narrative well and and in this case i would suggest that you fell for what the like u.s media fell for where it's like well we got to hear both sides they're equally valid it's they're they're not like one side is a a a reflexive defensive reactionary stance oh well no what i'm saying is as soon as they released that there was a sexual assault reference and that's why the brawl happened I immediately became suspicious because it was one. It was before the a the the governing body of the hockey league had even started. No, but but my point, yeah, I mean, yes, that's true. But my point is, is that you immediately focused on the details they released. You like your lead into this. You didn't talk about, hey, it's weird that they did this and and sort of circumvented the normal proceedings and stuff like that. You jumped right into those details, which is. From a media perspective, exactly what if I if you're a PR person trying to I, w- I was trying to do it cl- chronologically, but you're right. I did gloss over the fact that they jumped the um... if you were trying to do this chronologically, we would have done this seven weeks ago when <laughs> it was new. OK, in my defense, Sean and I weren't doing our podcast seven weeks ago. <laughs> it's It's been okay. a little bit of time. And no, that's fair. You need, I, to, you need to allow some time for all of that. Like, I'm still waiting on details, to be honest, but I think I think things but you have see, mostly to me, that's the least interesting part of the whole thing. The details of it don't actually matter one iota. Are you, That's are you sure? Because I feel like I, I no, am I am uncomfortable with the narrative they chose to legitimize a bench clearing brawl that uh, outside they, outside they of everything else happens kind of often. But okay, so they didn't legitimize it. What they did, that presentation of fact before any resulting thing, it was entirely a PR move because what it does is it paints them as, hey, in the light of uh, our current climate of Me Too and uh, the rise yes. of feminism and all these things, it's it's no longer an embarrassing thing for two schools. Now it's an embarrassing thing for one school and one school was standing up for a, a disprivileged group. Yeah. So, so this is why to me it's like and the-, the details don't... The details do not matter about this fight, the, the the claims of one university, because like that the more you talk about it, the more like the more it distracts from the actual thing. It's the smokescreen that lets the insidious thing happen. While, Which is the insidious no thing. So here's the thing, is that there's no reason for that sort of fighting in hockey at all, period. Full stop. The only reason we have a fighting like that in hockey is because we have coaches like exist on both of those benches. Okay. Um, because like so are, are you saying it's coming down to a lack of control or no what no what i'm saying is that there is a, there is a culture of value there's a culture we have of valuing this thing, this sort of thing you see it all the time with Don Cherry's Rock'em Sock'em you mm-hmm. see it with the oh we need enforcers standing up for guys um at the professional level in the NHL it's still very much at odds do you need this sort of behavior in hockey. Now, knowing the coaching staffs of both of these teams, they're both uh, like I'm long on the record of Acadia needs to change their coaching staff. That's I've felt that for probably the last three or four years. Um, just they've it's been the same coaching staff forever, and I think that they've uh, they've passed their prime. But what do I know? Um, and I think X is a lot the same way, but that's the, the university sport layer tends to be, um, either really young up and coming people because schools are willing to throw a shot at them or they're, you know, they did a thing at a higher level at one point, you know, 15 years ago. One of those, they've always been the coach kind of situations. Well, you've got that, but like they made a name for themselves in an era gone by Mm. at some higher level that gives them a credibility to keep them behind a bench, um, which means that you will naturally, (laughs) you'll naturally see like a slower progression and growth of like the ideas of like, do we need that sort of bent? bench clearing brawl in hockey and i stand firmly by no but like my stance as a coach when i'm behind the bench and you know what it was a fast like i had rcmp officers that were my assistant coaches behind the bench who would get upset and go like run over to the boards to start yelling at a ref over a call and this was minor hockey and the moment they made a move for the bench i'd have to grab them by their jackets and pull them back because the rule on my bench was you don't talk to the ref ever Full stop. Let's just gloss over the other argument that people who go into law enforcement and potentially armed forces have aggression issues. (laughs) That's another conversation for a whole other day. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, no, but I would say that, but, like, but that, uh, I mean, that's that's totally honorable. I think that's that's incredibly amazing. What I'm curious about, because but, we, but we've, the, we've talked of uh, low, le- I, I want to call it low level, uh, within within but without the rules, physical contact in hockey, going all the way down to the level that my currently 10-year-old daughter at, uh, at a time, 7-year-old daughter was playing, where I first started showing up to games. And I thought I had a handle on the rules because I'd, I'd read about the refs things and here's all the different penalties that you can call. And... It was the first time I think we were we were talking about some sort of playoff game a number of years ago, and I'm watching the playoffs, and there's a dude standing there, you know, waiting to uh, waiting to take a pass next to the goalie, and the op- uh, the opposing team's defenseman is there, you know, right by the goalie, and he is, for from what I can tell, as a very rudimentary hockey knowledgeable human being, he's just standing there repeatedly cross-checking my boy in the back four or five times and then the play continues because he just never gets the pass but you just have to stand there and take those hits and then i said aren't those all penalties and i believe your response was yeah but he's he's at his goalie you're supposed to do that well and that's the like there's some amount of contact like i would say like like if you're digging at my goalie i'm gonna hit you but that's like i'm not gonna like try to knock you out but i'm gonna push you away and but the, there's another side too, where it's like you're near my goalie, you're near the net. I'm gonna cross check you, and I like that's. I mean, there's. I haven't grown up in this in this but world, this... so I haven't discovered the nuance. So I am trying to learn about the nuance from my so own is... eyes and my own perspective, which is but why is I is... don't shout anything at but games so... of my daughters. <laughs> so, so my my answer here is like I can waffle because I can tell you right now, like I one of my favorite parts of women's hockey is there's uh, no body checking no no fighting no physical co- like it's a v- still a very physical game mm. it's a very fast game and it's a very skilled game and i 100 percent am on board with yeah that's what men's hockey should be we don't need this nonsense because it just leads to injuries and stuff but at the same time when you're like oh there's a guy cross-checking a guy in front of the net it's like well what's the context because yeah any one of those cross checks is a penalty but this is like it's it's Focusing on the symptoms and not the cause. Because what's the cause? The cause is that we have coaches and systems in place that value go out and be a big physical presence and don't really contribute. Like, this is the thing. Like, I, um, one of my, like, I, the biggest group of people that I follow on Twitter are actually hockey analytics folks. And they do statistic anal- statistical analysis of... Um, the performance of players, um, but like uh, they refer to it as like the underlying numbers. Like when this player's on the ice, does your team get more shots? Do those this shots? This is turn about into... to get real interesting. We're about to moneyball hockey. This is going to get super exciting. No, and that moneyballing hockey is exactly what these guys do. And so, <laughs> quite often, you see these guys that are touted for being a big physical presence, and they're a locker room guy, and they're a character guy, and they make everybody feel safe. And then you pull up the numbers, and you see like. When this guy's on the ice, your team gives up like twice as many shots as when he's off the ice, and your team scores no goals when he's on the ice. Like, the, like we have. So the there is an intimidation factor. No, there isn't. The numbers actually show that the other team scores a lot more. Oh, sorry. I, I thought so. When wait, 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 wait. When so your you, when, when your you big guys big, on the ice. Yeah, when your guy big guys on the ice, your team gives up way more shots. You, the, the other team scores way more goals on those shots, and your team scores less goals. Well, probably because your enforcer isn't really all that good at handling the puck. Well, and and then there's the the flip <laughs> side of the the hilarious part is if you put one of these enforcers on the ice with like the Acadia Axemen, they would skate circles around. Yeah, not they, they being the enforcer would still be a million times better. But at the NHL level, they're not very good. So we have lots of data, and like it's it's. Sp- specifically it's, a, it's, it, it's legitimately a measurable fact do you want me to give that, me a couple numbers do, uh, did, um i looked up a thing fights hockey fights per nhl season back in 2008 2009 we're up in the 700s 734 yep. 714 the year after that then they started dwindling down 645 in 2010 546 2011 we're down to 391 in 2014 2015 so i i remember it wasn't at a specific time when everything was decided, but something happened that it, it, it wasn't as though the NHL teams all decided we're never going to hire enforcers ever again. But someone decided, you know what? Enforcers, meatheads aren't that good at actually playing hockey and so, dudes are getting faster so and the more actual, In the last 10 years, nimble. what's happened is that a couple of teams won the Stanley Cup without an enforcer. Mm-hmm. 
namely the Chicago wins and the Pittsburgh wins. Uh, we're on the back of speed and scale. I thought you said and the Chicago Wings, and I immediately no. thought, wait, no, in the I thought past, they were a different team. I don't know all my all my team names. No, but in the I'm past sure ten, Blackhawks. The- in the past ten years, Chicago's won three of the cups. Pittsburgh's won three of the cups. So mm-hmm. six of the last ten Stanley Cups have been by teams that were predominantly fast and skilled. And Grant's and, not here, so we can't argue that Pittsburgh has an enforcer. Um, well, Pittsburgh does now. Um, and at a few points has brought them in. Um, but the, that's Listening what I'm getting. Listening to you guys argue about hockey has made me learn absolutely nothing about hockey. <laughs> okay, so, but what I'm getting at was that uh, the NHL is a copycat league, and that's why you see this plummeting, is that when the league is sort of like, when everybody has the same sort of makeup, everybody's roughly similar. Like, you have a few skilled guys, you have a few tough guys. It's the um, uh, Nintendo Entertainment System, hockey, uh, fat guy, skinny guy, regular guy. Thank you for uh, pro- putting it in terms that I can understand. Problem, right? Like, so if everybody has one of each guy <laughs> and an extra normal guy, the teams are roughly even. Yeah. But then if somebody goes and puts one fat guy with three skinny guys... Um, suddenly that team is super fast and they have like they start winning and so all the other teams start going well skinny guys so we score more goals blah 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 but what what actually ended up happening in the nhl was um in sort of around 2017 and early 2018 was you had a few teams that kind of went to four skinny guys and you had a few teams that still were rocking like three skinny guys and a, a fat guy. I mean, we're not we're not talking uh, Tom on the Walking Dead kind of skinny guy. We're 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 talking about the difference between like Usain Bolt and Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah, so Dwayne the Rock the- Johnson is huge. Usain Bolt is by reference skinny, but he is cut. So so what you actually see is last year the Washington Capitals won, and they had one guy on their team named Tom Wilson, who has no business being in the NHL. That's my official stance. Wasn't he the guy who was in Back to the Future and played all no. of the... Um... No. no. Yeah. Just stop. Um, so Tom Wilson... That's his name! He, uh, no, he's a hockey player. I know, but that's the, Zach, that's the guy who was in Back to the Future. That's his name, too. I'm okay. saying there are two of them. That's fine. Um, <laughs> you brought me on to talk about... my reference! Listen here. No. You brought me on to talk about I know, violence and hockey. I, I know you've seen Back to the Future, though. Yes. Oh, I have. Um, Biff Tannen. So, there. So, Tom, so you have uh, you have Tom Wilson, and you have um, there's there's probably like like we sort of reached a point where there was maybe like six of these guys who are and the 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 catch with these six like Tom Wilson and a couple of the others is not only they are the, they are the big enforcer heavy hitter like. They literally hit guys, and it ends their seasons. Mm. The trick is, though, is that a lot of those guys got pushed out of the league because they couldn't score, they couldn't skate, or whatever. So, but we reached this point where we had a, like a half dozen teams, so like like one in three teams has one of these guys, and other teams were legitimately scared because, like last year in the playoffs, on the way to the Stanley Cup, Tom Wilson ended the season of I think four different guys with. Just high speed, long cross the ice run. Take his take their head off, and he gets and, like ten minutes game misconduct or if no, that, he got if that uh, he got well, a couple of them he got away with, a couple of them he got suspended for. Then this season started, and in the preseason, so the games that don't count, he took a guy's head off and got suspended, and but he missed. Is- the suspensions never last as long as the other dude's recovery time. I feel he like that act- is a really easy. No, he was actually he was suspended for a quarter of the season. Fine, and he eventually did get it reduced through appeal, but like the appeal didn't go through until he had already missed the games, and the appeal was only so that he got some of his salary back because he actually was penalized enough games that he was going to lose most of his salary for the year to fine. Anyway, but this so this is what's happening now though is we sort of like like your numbers show like the number of fights have fallen in the past 15 20 years um potentially because there's just fewer enforcers it, it's entirely because the game is way faster um and but right now we're we've sort of hit like a plateau like teams tried to go too fast and got punished mm. so now every team like the Pittsburgh Penguins 
uh, at the recent trade deadline, traded for a defenseman who, by all of the Moneyball numbers, should never be on the ice. Editors note James's favorite pl- team is the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's why he keeps bringing them up. Um, yeah. So, well, but but this is relevant to my I know. past mentioning of Tom Wilson as well because... Full disclosure, that's all. We're all about full disclosure yeah. on this show. Yeah. Um, so the reason I say this, though, is that Tom Wilson plays for the Capitals and the Penguins and the Capitals are in the same division and will likely meet immediately in the playoffs and last year when they met in the playoffs tom wilson ended the season of two players two very good high skilled high speed players and when they made this trade for this player who by all counts shouldn't be on the ice the reason given by the penguins management was he's a character guy he's a very big physical presence and this was my favorite one he has played some nhl hockey (laughs) some a yeah, no, it was just amazing. They they actually traded for two guys, and both guys who their underlying numbers were not good, but in both cases, the general manager has played NHL hockey. It was a listed hilarious item. Mm. But, but the motivation was this team that we are going to have to play has a guy that hurts us. And actually, two nights ago, the Pittsburgh Penguins played the Washington Capitals, and partway through the, I think it was... I think it was in the second period. Uh, there was a like the goalie froze the puck, and there was a little scrum. And you actually saw Tom Wilson got his eye on the Penguins, the uh, Jake Gensel of the Penguins, who is the Penguins' number one goal scorer. And Tom Wilson took two or three strides, like went around another guy to get at Jake Gensel. And this big defenseman came in, threw a headlock around Tom Wilson, and threw him to the ice. And in that moment, I kind of went. All right, I get it. Because mm. I was watching. I'm like, oh, that's going to suck here in a second when this goon breaks one of our skilled players. I still need to see that movie. Have you watched that one, Sean William Scott? No. Uh, Sean William Scott was in a movie, a hockey movie, and it's just called Goon, where I believe he plays the role of an enforcer, and that's his only role. Well, should, it's interesting. I should um, watching that. I haven't seen that, but um, a couple of years ago, there was the uh, NHL All-Star Game and the fan vote, some people on the idiot on the on the idiot on the yeah. internet mm. on the internet well that's a Freudian slip right there Whew. um <laughs> thought it would be funny to vote uh nhl all goon uh john scott as an all-star um and it was big embarrassment and in fact montreal tried to trade him away to bury him in the minors to try to find a loophole so that he couldn't go to the NHL. <laughs> Oh, yeah. No, it was a whole thing. Like the NHL, the league tried to bury him so that he couldn't go to the game. And it was a whole. Please, please don't fight. Please don't point out the fact that we have this large foreheaded individual who only punches people in our league. Well, so but one of the things it ended up being kind of an awesome story and a fun weekend. And he won the MVP of the All-Star game and he scored four goals or something. Oh, my God. You know, well done. Yeah, no, it proved to be quite the entertaining thing. Um, And shortly thereafter, uh, the Players' Tribune site did a piece on him, um, sort of telling his story. And it was fascinating because you look into these guys, and this is where it's like, to me, this stuff has no place in hockey. Because the culture is, we have a culture of fans, coaches, uh, people developing players, minor hockey programs and stuff, who say we need this. Because... In John Scott's case, he became an enforcer because he just happens to be a big guy. He's like six foot eight or something like that. And so growing up, he wasn't as nimble, wasn't as quick, but he was real strong. So his coaches all said, you're going to fight. And when it came time to, all right, you know, you're you're 20 years old and you need to make some money because you got bills to pay, a family to raise and all that. And your options are, do I go work at McDonald's or these guys will pay me a half million dollars a year if I'll punch somebody. You go punch somebody. Pretty much. Yeah. I'm, so the, it, the nature, we have this, we have this toxic culture around, like to me, it's like, that's why it's like, I don't care. The story about the Acadia X thing is not so much about the exact words or who had what feelings. Like, no, he should never have chirped those words. Like, it shouldn't have happened. And you know what? He was the first player to admit it. And I, all the respect for him that he publicly came out and said his name and this is who I am and this is what I did. Good for him. Maybe he'll learn something. Maybe not. I can't say. But one of the things that I wanted to lead into, and it feels like this is about the right time to lead into, is should things change? 
change. You, you seem to be on the side that this this may be an antiquated model of having the Enforcer, but like as you said, the evolution of the game became that maybe people tried to put it into place too quickly, and with just enough people keeping a single Enforcer around, that was enough to destroy a couple of individual people. But are we are we moving towards will will there we be potentially in the next few years in the next and by few I mean ten to twenty five zero enforcers like the the concept of an enforcer or a brute is gone oh 100 there, there will still there's be a, there will still be fights earlier, and there will still be violence earlier earlier oh, there'll still be contact and you'll still have fights but like they'll be so far like it'll be something ridiculous happened and it will be a purely emotional moment um but it will be an emotional moment in the way that it's like nobody's twice as strong as the other guy so like it's like a baseball fight like where you got them hopping out and nobody's really getting hurt kind well, of thing here here's a, er, here's earlier, a quick insertion was, there because whenever a fight happens two dudes start circling each other and they throw off the gloves and then the thing that i always see is the ref hovering in the background where as they're circling each other with their fists up they're not actually locked together yet doesn't that seem like the optimal time to get between them and say, yo, go sit down and cool off? But that doesn't seem yeah. to happen. There's always yeah, this, well, we have to wait until they're rolling uh, on the ice. It's not safe to do that. Because if you step in at the wrong moment when they're off balance, you're off balance, you may actually hurt them and yourself. But these guys have been to a lot more skating practices than I've been to. I mean, I would fall off. I, I fall off balance of the... If, you know, if I cough or if I try but to get on my phone too fast. The referees aren't robots. Like, they're not going to, like... Like, my example of the drunk guy trying to pick a fight in Broomball, the mm. only reason I could do anything as a ref was because it was Broomball, and he had sneakers on, on ice, and I had skates. Yeah. If so he was I on hide... skates, would you have done that? No, not a chance. Not, I wouldn't even have gone near him. Because mm. he just would have punched me. And then what am I supposed to do to help rein in the game? So you're saying to fix the problem, we just have to replace all the referees with robots. No, I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying, and I, what I was trying to get at, was earlier what I mentioned was not that a handful of guys had undone the progress towards a less violent hockey league. I, I very intentionally oh. chose the term plateau. Yeah, sorry. Was, I, I, I wasn't saying that you you were presenting. No, no, no. It, but, but, but what I'm getting at, though, is is that nothing's been undone. Like, the the I would say that we've plateaued briefly. It's like uh, when anybody tries to lose weight or whatever. You hit the little plateaus, and then you figure it out, and there's more progress made. And that's what's... Like, you see it when you look into what players are being drafted now. Like, when you watch junior hockey or minor hockey, what skills are being valued? And it's already changed. It's different now than it was five years ago when I was coaching minor hockey. Like... I can sit, this is why I can sit here and confidently say, like, no, we're going to move to a system where um, there isn't this violence. Like, because one of the things about hockey and when you look at it, marketing it and where, like, where's their money to be made? And the, honestly, it used to be fighting. I mean, that's why you saw the weird spinoff show that was only hockey fights. But what's happening is, is that um, now is that people are recognizing it for its speed. Um and high skill level like the the speed at which decisions are made the speed that everybody moves that the game goes the flow um it's something i've heard i'd heard of the idea and then from a few people i've met recently that have moved here from european countries that are you know traditionally football markets to them it's the on the fly changes are crazy because they're like what you don't have to call substitution and wait for a stop and play like yeah there's a lot of strategy in that that i'm learning yeah, so like there's a lot to hockey as a sport that is entertaining and that's actually what's being marketed now. Um and at the the highest levels last week the NHL GMs all got together and they were very specifically talking about well let's change the rules to be if you lose your helmet you have to go off the ice immediately, which is a rule at the AHL level, it's the rule at the university level. Like a lot of the lower levels already have rules like this. Um but the NHL was a place previously where they didn't wear helmets for a long time. Mm. And then helmets were mandatory. And then, and this they is one of my favorites. Yeah. In 1993, the league thought, you know what? People can't see our players' faces as well anymore. And it's hurting <laughs> you, our marketing. That, was that the reason? No, it legitimately was. In 1993, they removed <laughs> the rule requiring helmets to be worn. And it was made optional for any player to opt into because they thought it would make it would help the players with their individual brand. 
Now, and I now was he, a here's where it gets funny, young though. man at that t- time, and I remember that being a thing happening. I wasn't watching one, a lot of hockey at the time. Only one player took advantage of it. I knew it was a very low number, like like single digits, but I didn't realize one. it was as low as just one. That's excellent. And it, and it was a fighter. He was an enforcer. <laughs> and Which what? is why, quietly, for the 1994 season, they put the rule back in place. <laughs> didn't realize the rule became back in place oh yeah no it was it was only one season 1993 was the only season can i read you something ridiculous probably um so read (laughs) read i'm reading i am reading the wikipedia entry on fighting in ice hockey and here is a footnoted passage there is a high degree of respect among enforcers as well they will respect a rival who declines a fight because he's playing with injuries, a frequent occurrence because enforcers consider winning a fight with an injured opponent to be an empty victory. This is also known as granting a free pass. This is from a 2006 book by Ross Bernstein called The Code, The Unwritten Rules of Fighting and Retaliation in the NHL. <laughs> yeah. I uh, thought that would get a chuckle. Uh, anytime I hear somebody talk about the code, or it's, I just, even when I was playing growing up, I just rolled my eyes. It was, I mean, I don't know. It's the, to me, it all comes down to is what you're doing on the ice contributing to your team scoring goals? Yes, good. That's hockey. No, well, it's but probably not hockey. Is taking out the other team's main scorer beneficial to your team? Yes. Uh, maybe, but Bully. That's not, but that's why I very specifically chose the terms is it helping your team score goals? Cuz yes, the way you win is by having more goals than the other team, but I'm not interested in strategies like Okay, okay, yeah, I see, I see what I see what you mean. The, strategies the in there. reducing the number of goals the other team scores. Uh putting putting bad in for the game. Uh, you so, know, I, uh, Jethro, the big huge guy who will thump the other team, is one strategy. The other strategy is putting in, uh, you know, small, tiny, small frame Jethro. I'm choosing not to pick on Jethros. There are two Jethros in this team. One is a big brute, and one is a squirrely little guy who sneaks in there and is really good at stealing the pocket and going on breakaways. So you're like, hmm, which Jethro do I choose? So, so one of the interesting things about, like, when you look at the times that people describe ho- hockey as being at its best and you get into like the 70s and the 80s and mm-hmm. what, how it's changed now and there's a lot of people that will say well it was a, there was a code and people stuck up for each other but the answer is is that scoring rates were way higher in the 70s and 80s um and actually interestingly enough um starting in like 93 94 that was when we started to see the decline in the average number of goals per game uh scored in the NHL and Every single year. Are you going to blame the Montreal Canadiens winning the Stanley Cup? No, it was actually the New Jersey Devils. Okay. Uh, the New Jersey Devils <laughs> introduced the trap system, which there was, because um, there's the one strategy of, uh, I don't want you to score goals, so I hurt your goal scorers. But the flip side is, the um, coaches figured out how to coach a defensive system that just doesn't let the other team score any goals. And so we got hockey games that were kind of boring. A little stalemate yeah. Exactly. And well, that so, was how they invented the rule of icing. This is the one thing I know about hockey. The invention of the rule of icing was because one team just kept mm-hmm. launching the puck down the other end whenever it got too close. Yep. And I, so, I forget which teams, but that's why they invented that rule. So in the last 20 years, though, um, we actually saw a steady drop in the number of goals per game down from like, um, it used to be that the average game had like seven goals and in the early 2000s we were down to i think we were just below five goals per game as Mm -hmm. an average so like a three two game yeah yeah or but yeah getting really down there like you don't have your 10 six games and actually this season we have the highest scoring rate since like 1995 right now so some of that is trending up and so that's why to me it's uh, I like my, or not that I like, but I, I focus on my definition of is what you're doing helping your team score goals? Because it's not just about are you focusing on skill and speed and avoiding goonish, brutish behavior? Because it doesn't have to be goonish, brutish behavior in a coaching system as the only thing that's stopping the other team from scoring goals. There are also systems, there's boring tactics, like, um, it's the little things like how do you coach your power play? How do you run this? And, and, just to tie back again to my stance on the Acadia X thing, like I don't want to be entirely hard on X because 
I'm embarrassed as an Acadia alumni to see how the Acadia coaches behaved in that. Like when you watch those videos, it's like, yeah, no, this is uh, just... no one was thinking straight in in, in that in that video in, the, well, in that situation. Uh, well, uh, it's not like no one was thinking straight. There was a lot of deplorable behavior that came no one out was thinking. of that. Yeah. At the end of the day, no one was thinking, and to me, it was just. Um, more evidence uh our friend grant can tell you that last last season i sat with him watching a playoff game and watching acadia beat their head against a a wall doing the same ineffective thing on every single power play and just shaking my head and being like this is a coaching problem because the coach is not looking at them and saying hey guys you keep trying to set up this one shot (laughs) maybe don't Maybe think and of you, make, yeah, think a little outside the box. Maybe use the other four guys. Watch on the ice. any sports-related movie, and you, something always happens where the other team finds your playbook. And it's every football movie. The other team gets your playbook or steals all your plays, and you have to come up with new improvised moves for the big game, and then you win against <sighs> Saint Jerkland High, and you get the girl and go yeah, on so, a date with jennifer love hewitt and everything works out great so that's where like to me it's like looking at the whole situation is i think that the aus the teams here in atlantic canada we need new coaches rotating through these systems um they're very much an old boys club um hmm. I don't have the numbers offhand, but I mean, I know Acadia's coaching staff has been there since I did my undergrad, and you're old. More than, yeah, well, it was you're more than ten. Old. Ye- it was more than ten years ago, and ten <laughs> like, like if you look at like, uh, are you in Canada? Our university players are limited to five years of eligibility, so like that means like we have a coaching staff that has theoret like they're on at least their third batch of players. Okay, so step one: make all the refs robots. Step two, make fixed terms for all university coaches. Or just apply the same coach uh, terms to coaches that you apply to players. Yeah. I think the important part is finding all the robots. I have one final uh, question that I'm not sure if it's going to be pertinent or not. I've a lot of, and maybe this is just because I've met a lot more people talking hockey ever since my daughter started playing hockey. I didn't really talk a lot of hockey with people before then. I find the world juniors have become a big, important piece of what hockey people now watch. Has that changed in the last no. 10, 15 years? That's always been important? That's always been true. Since okay. the World Junior Tournament. Actually, the the interesting thing is in the last five years, the World Junior Tournament has actually become a big deal in the United States. Um, hockey USA has actually got a really good development program that they sort of put into place probably 10 years ago, and it's or 10 or 15 years ago, where they sort of changed their focus on to skill development and they're producing some very good hockey players yeah, and, and so i find myself ignorantly wondering if the lack of uh enthusiasm for this uh brutish enforcer behavior is because encouraging this world this this junior level may have become more prevalent and if if the enforcer behavior is less prevalent in the junior no, leagues. No, no. I'd actually say there's probably something to... Looking at the World Juniors is definitely something where you can see some patterns, but it's maybe not what you're, the pattern you've detected. Because um, even like when I was in minor hockey in the mid-90s, there was two things that happened every Christmas. was As a hockey team, we went to a tournament, and we would play our games all day, and then we'd go back to whatever hotel we were in, and we would all watch the World Juniors. And yeah. like I, I can tell you the names of players in the 90s, and the games, we watched them all. Is it but, a different style of play, though? No, it's not at all. Okay. What, what, I, what I was trying to get at, though, is that like it has always been a big deal in Canada, and it's only recently that it stopped. And in the 90s, like there was, we had two runs, I think, where Canada won six consecutive gold medals. I think that's right. Like Canada won all the gold medals every year. Mm. It was never a question. And that was when it was popular, as long as we're winning. No, it's still, because it. Canada's like that, though. We get really proud as long as we're doing great. Yeah, so that's what I was going to say, because it's still very popular. But what has happened, though, is that um, other countries made changes to adapt their development programs because it's like we got to compete with the Canadians and many countries have succeeded. They moneyballed so, their Norwegian junior team. <laughs> Jerks. So, but, but what's actually happened in Hockey Canada is that 
um, a lot of people through pride and stubbornness and they're like our ways are winning ways so we just have to double down and keep doing them which interestingly when I was coaching minor hockey five years ago I had a couple of my uh, coach development sessions that were taught to me um, were taught by people using materials from Hockey USA rather than Hockey Canada because the materials were better. Hmm. So, so like, That's this is why I say, like, the, hockey as a culture is, I would say, directionally correct. We're moving to a less barbaric world, but it is still, especially in Canada, quite heavily, there's a lot of pride and there's a lot of, like, we did it this way for a long time, and uh, and we were the champions. So, and and what you see is you see, especially you see the people running the programs, the organizations, and stuff who were the who were the players that were winning in the seventies and the eighties, and they say our ways were winning ways, and these new young players just don't want it like we wanted it because they're not willing to commit to our ways like we were. Rather than saying, oh, the game is different, we need to try new ways. The interesting thing about that is that in trying to solve or come up with solutions, you've effectively pointed out that it's mostly just sort of working itself towards a natural evolution. Because when it it comes right down to it, hockey is going to be the sport that is appropriate for the current climate of hockey fan to be able to watch happily. Oh, yeah. and There are some people who are like, oh, if I don't see a fight, I want my money back. There's maybe three of those dudes left. It's not quite as as big a deal. Yeah, and to tie it back to the Acadia X brawl, people, like, it was news before we heard saw the press releases because it was like, oh, it was a big bench clearing brawl and a bunch of people got kicked out of the game and blah, blah, blah. The issue there, and this this is where I had a hard time choosing sides. No, no, just a second. Is that when I was in in the late 90s, we had season tickets to Acadia games and you every one to three games saw a full line brawl with probably five to ten guys getting thrown out. I've seen several, even in the last five 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 to eight years. Yeah, like, but but I'm saying like it was common, it was regular, and now it's twenty twenty five years later, and maybe just one the fact that it happened was news. And what what I find which a bit shows dangerous, you the the arc of things. A lot of okay, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go out and call out the wrong groups here, but it feels like because of the PR narrative that Saint Effects spun on this one, what you know, quote unquote spun, maybe maybe not. It, the 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 dude this uh, Sam on the other side when he was called a little effing rapist maybe it immediately emotionally caught him that his sister is a sick is a victim of sexual assault which is horrible he felt bad about that that's horrible too feel for the guy but it launched this whole big brutish attack and then all of a sudden I feel like a lot of Facebook soccer moms started yelling and ranting about oh my god this guy made a comment in the face-off that was off color and that's terrible and I feel like there was brief because I don't think that it's really followed through but there was a brief screaming for blood and change and we should regulate this and this chirping has got out of hand and how can they make these allegations and you know these rapist remarks in a face-off that's horrendous and there was a big social media outcry for hockey attitudes need to change do you think that's gonna happen quick does it happen quick when the the social crowd has outcries about massive changes to literally every other story i mean harvey weinstein is theoretically going to jail kind of a bit because 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 that's real quick and very quickly responded to right uh, my, my my point is as always ross stop reading the comments <laughs> oh comments aren't gonna change the world correct they're sure as hell not even gonna make a dent uh, I want to give an extra special thanks to uh, James Leroy Griffin Huxtable Trafalgar uh, <laughs> Maxi Priest MC Squared Escher Painting Huxtable V for being on the show to talk about hockey today because I 
as you could obviously know absolutely nothing about hockey. My daughter's in hockey, and I'm still trying to understand the dang sport. Next year, I believe she will be in a league, and I'm not sure if this changes for boys and girls. I try to do a little bit of research. I think my daughter's in a league next year where body checking is allowed, but that may just be boys' leagues and not girls. I'm unsure. Isn't she Pee-wee next year? She is. No, there's no body checking in Pee-wee. Okay. I, I read a thing that it was, but I think that was like a 2013 report from Ontario. The uh, question, no, there, there was am I worried about my daughter being in hockey? My honest answer is no. But there is a little piece of me that, I mean, I, I'm I'm a dad. She's small. I'm always going to be very protective of her. But she skates way better than I do. I have recently tried to attempt to remedy that factor. But she, I, I, I think she's good. I wince. When she goes into the boards, I wince when she crashes into another player. But I have trust and faith in my kid of being able to process all of the input from her five senses and keep her damn self safe while she plays a sport that she loves. I don't know. Just thought I'd throw that in there. My daughter's fine. But... Uh, in hopefully in another couple of weeks, we will be back with another episode of Everyone is Stupid Except Us, where I will be talking to, and I've, I was racking my brain because, uh, it, before, uh, James showed up tonight, I was thinking to myself, crap, who the hell am I going to talk to next and what the hell am we going to talk about? <laughs> so tune in next time when something really almost as cool happens, hopefully. <laughs> Do you have any shout-outs that you need to say? No. Come come check out James is Awesome. Follow James on Twitter, to be honest, at that guy Griff. You can follow myself and sometimes Sean on Twitter, at Sean and Ross, or you can uh, send us an email, Podcast at gmail.com, if I got that correctly. And hopefully back two weeks from now. Talk to you then. <laughs> I'm going to happily blame you for some of this.